0: Welcome to the Nerdist Podcast number 750. Um, I am uh, performing a handful more shows through the end of the year leading up to my Fun Comfortable special taping in San Francisco on January 29th, Uh, Los Angeles on the 24th, and then in the coming coming weeks the uh, rescheduled Phoenix show in Salt Lake City, and uh, there's a couple of more, so go to funcomfortabletour.com to get ticket links and info. And now here's the Nerdist Community Court Board. a comedian in the Bay Area writes... A fellow comedian and dear friend to all was walking to his car at 16th and Mission in San Francisco when he was stabbed in the heart and stomach. This happened around 3 a.m. Monday. He had two surgeries and is on his way to recovery at SF General Hospital. He runs a weekly open mic and has already been struggling financially. His name is Jamie Phillips, a.k.a. Frosty Nugs. We set up a GoFundMe forum that can be found by going to GoFundMe.com and searching Helping Out Frosty Nugs. Aw, oh, man. Get better, dude. Next. We are guys at GetHotSauce.com, and we're here to provide the experience of making your own hot sauces to the masses. We provide make-your-own hot sauce kits that include everything you need to make three bottles of hot sauce in your kitchen. Make your own spicy mustard and ketchup are coming soon, and they just started their newest private labeling venture, LabelYourSauce.com. They can create custom labels and on a variety of hot sauces, barbecue sauces, ketchups for events, weddings, gifts, giveaways, anything else you need to spice things up. Our hot sauce donation page is now live as well. We donate bottles of hot sauce to local food kitchens for every case of hot sauce we sell. Check out GetHotSauced.com. You know, a little bit of a juxtaposition between a poor guy getting stabbed and hot sauce. Um, But uh, again, Frosty Nugs, get better, dude. Glad you're okay. All right. This episode is David Goyer. Uh, who has uh, probably written several things that you've watched, whether or not you knew that he wrote them. But we'll get into all that. He's promoting the final season of Da Vinci's Demons, premiering this Saturday, the 24th, at 8 p.m. on Stars. So if you're not coming to the comedy show that I'm doing, then watch Da Vinci's Demons. Here's Nerds Podcast number 750 with David Goyer. Katie, please roll the thing.
2: Now entering Nerdist.com.
1: had a, uh, a t-shirt though that it had like 12 popular time machine stuff so there was like the TARDIS the car and I'm trying to think of like other time H.D. Wells's time machine I'm yeah, sure it was was Ted's phone booth yeah. Which, yeah. Uh, yes. which was a nod to and, it was, and, and most of them I could identify but there were like a couple I was like I don't know
0: <laughs> yeah. Was one of them the
2: Enterprise slingshotting around the sun? No, no that would have that. burst. First of all, that would have been a Klingon bird of prey slingshotting. Oh, around was the sun. I'm sorry.
0: Yes, I'm sorry. Yes. Come on. I apologize.
2: No, the, you're right. The Enterprise would just take the readings from the Borg ship and open up a temporal <laughs> vortex using the deflector array.
0: <laughs> no, they're going to divert power to the. What are they going to do? Redirect uh, power to
2: the? They co- reroute main power through the secondary coupling. That's right. Because that coupling's always around, ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Nerdist Podcast, David Goyer. <laughs> David, go <Goyer>. we <laughs>
0: right. Yes, we're, we've started. You can say anything you want, and uh, let me just first of all say that uh, you wrote two movies that I watched so many times that I fucking oh, love so which much. Kickboxer Sorry. two, Kickboxer yeah. two, yeah. Death warrant, no, uh, um, uh, uh, Dark City, yes, and Blade, fucking great. Both done. came out the same year, same year, ninety eight. Yeah, I, I, I when those came out. On DVD, they were just in a in an alternating loop. Nice. Blade was so fucking fantastic and Dark City. I had a I worked at K Rock at the time and I had a, a Dark City
1: I still have like a Dark City promo t shirt. Whoa.
0: Where he's Rufus Sewell is
1: and you know, it says it, sleep it, now. You know, the crazy thing is it's actually not Rufus Sewell on that poster. What? Yeah. Everything I'd believed was yeah. a lie. I mean it's supposed to be the character, but they had to cobble it together and um it's actually Tim uh, Robbins and Shushing. No no. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. It's a uh, um, Sean, one of my college roommates, was working for like the the company that did the poster together at the time, and he posed, and they sort of Photoshopped uh, like his face on because they couldn't, for some reason, they couldn't get yeah, Rufus yeah. like in for the. Yeah,
0: that's amazing. And Kiefer Sutherland does
1: that, just that
0: the whole time. Well, John, you see, yeah, they are the strangers. He's
1: doing um, Watchamagoo from. Um, He's doing Peter Lorre. Oh mm-hmm. uh, yes, mm-hmm. it's so that I love that movie so much. So does Roger Ebert.
0: Now, why didn't that movie Holy make Christ. a billion dollars? It's such an inventive,
1: weird. It 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 came out. Um, it was a little ahead of its time, and and it's funny because I, I, I um one of the producers and a fair amount of the crew were on the Matrix uh, mm-hmm. and v, VFX company subsequently on the first Matrix film, and I, I just think it was like, and they share some similarities, but it just came out a little ahead of its time. Yeah. It, we didn't have a big star, you know? Right. Rufus wasn't, you know. But Jennifer Connelly was a, a big star at that time, wasn't she? That was in the ish, dip. That was I- in the dip. I- ish, and then, I don't know, it's just one of those. You know, it's funny, because that year, you know, the movie was very well reviewed and did terribly at the box office. And then <laughs> Blade, people don't remember this, but did great at the box office and was horrifically reviewed. I mean, it was just, the first Blade film was just completely savaged. Really? Savaged. And then the second Blade film came out, and then, like, sort of, like, one of the only good reviews we got at all from the first Blade film was, like, Sight and Sound that, like... Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 the magazine that would rate the picture and
0: sound quality. Yeah, 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 yeah. That fucking first scene where he goes to the meat locker rave with Tracy Lord's and then just fu- and then f- fucking it, Donald Logue is amazing in that amazing movie amazing in it and Stephen Dorff is really great know, in that And a-
1: as Deacon Frost He's I maintain great. it's the best Dorff's ever been but Donald Logue is great I prefer Dorff on Golf
0: <laughs> Stephen Dorff on Golf <laughs> Stephen Dorff on Golf would be a great yeah. video
1: series it sure was yeah <laughs>
0: <laughs> no but it There's should be Stephen Dorff right? yeah. <laughs> hey where's my fucking caddy no it should be
1: Dorff on Dorff <laughs> yeah. you mean I can't smoke on the
0: golf course we're all adults here <laughs> Why hasn't that been made yet? Dorf on Dorf, and get
2: fucking Tim Conway to get on his knees and and hang around with Stephen Dorf for the day.
0: <laughs> Tim Conway's up there. If he got on his knees, he might not get back up. At oh, this yeah, I think he's spry, I, I was actually going to ask
1: if he, he was still alive. No, I, think, I think
0: Tim's Tim, Tim Conway's still alive. He's probably still really funny too. But I, but those two movies. Now let me ask you about Dark City. Probably it, still <laughs> really funny. That's <laughs> a great sentence. He's probably still really funny. <laughs> he's probably still really funny. He's probably still really funny. <laughs> still really funny. No, no, you're like the you level don't... of funny yeah, that sure, Tim Conway was.
1: I, I don't know that goes away.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah
1: he's, or, or he's just like Ebenezer Scrooge and he's like super mean. I don't know. I'm not, and I've never met him, so I don't know. No, I, I think there are some people who are
0: just, I think there are some people who are funny for work and I think there are some people who are just funny. And I, I, and I think I, Tim was just funny. I suspect... I suspect he's funny. Now, was there a, was there a much longer initial cut of Dark City because it it feel it feels like in places like it jumps around a little bit
1: and you're like, okay, well that yeah. feels like it. Yeah, and there was there was also a. I mean, they released a kind of director's DVD. That's a, but yeah, there was definitely a longer cut. It's so good. I
0: I just I really that's one of those movies that I I really. One of my favorite movies of the '90s, and I, I, it's a movie that I hope people go back and see if they haven't if they haven't seen it yet. If, if
1: you're like a film enthusiast, I have to say it's it's a it's it's of all the things I've worked on, it's probably you know if you're like a real film nerd, like that's the one that people you know dig. Mm.
0: Was it uh,
1: Alex Proyas uh-huh.
0: did who did uh, The Crow? Yep, right. Uh, and it just it's. A I re- mean, if you want
1: to, not that we have to get on a Dark City tangent, but so. Alex reached out to me. He wrote like a treatment for Dark City and asked me if I would like flesh out the script, write the script. And I read the treatment and I it was like 16 pages long and it was it was brilliant, but it was it was just all over the place and and he knew that and and the crow had not come out yet. Mm. And and I passed on it cuz I was just like this is Crazy, but like I didn't have a context for Alex, and so he went off, and the Crow subsequently came out, and I thought was amazing. And um, at the time, he got Lem Dobbs, who wrote Kafka among other things, to flesh it out into a screenplay, and and it's fine because we're all friends now. But uh, that but 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 Lem was not the perfect guy to unobfuscate. It. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, and and so then it came back to me like a year later and at that point i'd seen the crow and then i also have this fixation for australia and 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 preuss had said we'll come to australia for like a month and we'll hang out and that was kind of that sunk it for me but i i just i just remember that the whole thing with dark city when we were in australia for the first time was i said it's totally fine that like this world have different rules than earth It's just that the rules have to be consistent. Right. And so we went through this whole thing of like what are the rules and just making sure that they're consistent. And the first thing I said was you can't have a movie called Dark City in which there's never daylight and at some point not have someone comment on the fact that it's never day. day. And that's how that scene with William Hurt – there's a big pivotal scene in the film where they start talking about the fact that there's no day and William Hurt's character is like, oh, yeah. Yeah. There isn't any date What's yeah. up with that You know And we sort of worked Backwards from that Anyway Yeah It's a great movie And people should watch Thank it If you. they haven't But But
0: uh, uh, You you did write Death Warrant I did Which uh, When you were in school Right Did you leave school Or did
1: you finish school I, I finished school And I actually wrote that About three months After uh, Because that what had happened Was I finished school And that summer Die Hard had come out hmm And Uh, I had not initially thought of writing action films. Die Hard had come out and I thought, oh, maybe I'll try to write an action spec. And so I was like, oh, it'll be Die Hard because everything was Die Hard in a blank. blank, So this was like (laughs) Die Hard in a prison. And I wrote that and it sold immediately and went into production. And did pretty well, I think. um, at the time, I think until seven, it was MGM's most successful film of all time. <laughs> it's the only movie I actually have received when you sign a contract to write a film. Like they give you net points like yeah, on the film, yeah. net profits of which are completely non-existent. And I actually saw it made so much money because I think we spent four million, and it ended up making thirty-five domestically and a bunch of. It made so much money that I actually saw net. Congratulations. Profits. because it was like they couldn't they couldn't hide it all. <laughs>
0: so
2: and for those listening, like if you those net profit deals, like Return of the Jedi supposedly has never gone into net profit. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: The future has yeah. never, never yeah, 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 into yeah. profit. All of these,
1: yeah. are like, oh yeah, this isn't in profit. Been, <laughs> we 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 totally lost money on get Star, away with on that, Star by Wars. Way. How do they get away with accounting. that stuff? Just just no, I know it's shady accounting. accounting. But,
0: but so was you know. so, so uh, uh,
1: but so was o- old Chicago in the well, '30s. Was I mean, so too. here's so we what, spent he,
2: forty million on this one bus. Ad. Yeah,
1: Here, I mean, <laughs> because the way it works is that you on stuff that's profitable, any anything that's genuinely profitable, is is you get together with a couple of people and you audit them, and there's usually a settlement.
0: Yeah, yeah. because you know all these movies that are supposedly not profitable I'm sure at you know at the end of the fiscal year or when they whatever they do whatever they make their financial I was like oh look how well we did this year like wait but all your movies haven't technically made any money well
1: also also things that don't you know initially make profit in like the first cycle like over the life of the film like as it goes now on a VOD or DVD or it becomes a library thing yeah. and then they sell the library stuff can make a profit 10 years later you know eventually because there's all these sort of Additional revenue streams. Not that I'm sure your your listeners want to hear about that. But. No, actually, it
0: is very interesting because it is when you think uh, when you think about the most successful movies of all time, and you think, oh my God, all those people must have gotten really. Like, well, someone did, but Yeah, not... <laughs> someone did, but
1: usually not the artist or the artists involved. John Peters did. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but did you work with Van Damme directly?
1: Did you oh, work... Oh, yeah. No, Van Damme bought the script. Oh, he bought it himself. Yeah, here, here's the amazing thing. So I, I was, at the time... With crumpled up wads yeah. in his jeans, he's wait, just wait, trying to get he... it. I think I Yo, have a $100,000 bill here. Somewhere. Are we... Are... <laughs> So uh, I was at the time, briefly after school, I was a I was a, a PA at, at an now defunct studio, MTM Studios, Mary Telemore mm, yeah. Studios, and they made a bunch of stuff. And they were over at where CBS Radford is now. And so I was the guy that would deliver mail around the lot and also, like, deliver, like, sodas to the offices and crap like that. And I had, like, a hand truck that I would go around. So I wrote this script, and, and my agent at the time called me uh, – Left a message for me at work and uh, called me and said, do you know who Jean-Claude Van Damme is? And at the time, I think only Cyborg and and um, Bloodsport had come out or something like that. And 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 I said, no, and, he, and he, he, I remember he like – you could hear him like open the newspaper and he said, there's like a three o'clock showing at the Man's Chinese Theater or the Chinese Theater at the time go see it now and he's going to meet you at like 5.30. <laughs> and, and so I saw the Cyborg at the Chinese theater which was terrible but like whatever. And then I went over and I met with him and he, at the time he had, this is back in like 88 or 89, he had one of those giant, like like military cell phone. Like the first cell phone I'd ever seen. It was like <laughs> yeah. it was like 80 pounds. Bag, yeah. And I was like, what is that? And he was like, it's a cell phone. And I didn't even know what it was. Anyway, he gave me, I have to say this for him. I walked in the room. He gave me a big hug. And he said, I'm terrible at at, at accents. But he was like, you're going to be a big star. And, and he said, Hollywood will rip you up, but I will protect you like an eagle. <laughs> and, and, he, and, he, and, he, and he made these like eagle cloth marks. <laughs>
0: What does that mean?
1: I don't know, but he uh, he's still doing it. He yeah, just don't know. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's protecting. <laughs> he's it. looking over you.
0: I'm. Um, he's like your. He's like your. He's the one that's just blown everything
1: in the right direction is, for you this whole is. time, and you didn't to know it. And uh, he he's. Up at but like, but it, like, ten you. weeks later, we were making the movie, and I was the only writer, and I was on the set, and you know, he was, you know, so I wow. I owe him that.
2: Did yeah. he ask you for another draft, or did we just go,
1: yeah, let's do this? The only thing we had to do because his English was even. Not as good right. as it is now. Yeah. And uh, we had to take – I immediately had to take most of his dialogue and reapportion it to other characters yeah. like throughout <laughs> in the script. And then we did this bullshit thing. He was supposed to be an American cop and he was actually French-Canadian, like an RCMP, like on yeah. loan for like to explain <laughs> the accent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But listen, by I the way, appreciate that kind of thing. That's yeah. why Red Heat's so great. It's the only
0: one that tries to explain Schwarzenegger's accent. <laughs> yeah, we we,
1: we we made an attempt.
0: By the way, you were lucky you had Van Damme with you uh, at the Chinese Theater at that time because that stretch of Hollywood
1: Boulevard was not a great place no no, to be no. In 19, it, yeah, no no in nineteen no no it was a crappy crappy there was crappy, no area. like they
0: hadn't refurbished the theater across There was no Hollywood Highland. It was really just like fucking drugs
1: and... Uh, no, no, and I'm not kidding. So The Chinese Theater is a giant theater, right? But if you went to like a matinee on a Wednesday, it was completely empty mm-hmm. and there was somebody like doing drugs and somebody beating off and like it just it was it's still like that now it's just those people are yes. just Spider-Man and Spongebob yes. there you go <laughs> that guy is still jerking off at Terminator <laughs> I've been jerking off here's it where's my star in the walk of fame cyborgs get me do you going. remember do you remember uh, a, a, a filmmaker named Jack Shoulder no he directed The Hidden and like Nightmare on Elm Street 2 and stuff like that he had like a during he did a, a lot of stuff for New Line and I remember him telling me just randomly that he went to see one of his first films in Times Square, like at the time when yeah. Times Square was sort of like, and, and like midway through his movie, like this guy just jumped up and said, make it stop, make it stop, and started beating his head against the <laughs> wall like <laughs> during the screening. So I was like, now that's a review. <laughs> Is it
0: uh, with, because it feels like with writing for film, once you kind of get in, like once you have a, like a movie that does pretty well, you're pretty much... Does it seem like you're in the machine for a while, or do you feel like you constantly have to keep proving yourself over and over again? Because we have friends like Tom Lennon who has mm. fucking scripts everywhere, a lot of which probably won't get made, right. but it if doesn't you, matter. If you,
1: look, if you get... I mean, I have a lot of friends who, who make a healthy living and have never had anything made. Right. Um, and if you get something made and it's a decent hit... I don't think you can coast on that forever and you're sort of just in the club, but it's hard enough to get anything made, much less be a hit. So if you've had something at one hit, you it will be much easier to get work. You can't coast on it forever for a unless while. it's blank
2: check. Yes. Right.
1: Yes. <laughs> um but you can you can you can still like Squander it, you know. <laughs> you can uh, it can it can dry up. Uh, it's certainly easier for me now than when I started. And, I would and, imagine and if you've had a few successful films, then they think, oh, he know he must know something. Well, I mean, I would say the Dark Knights were pre- pretty. Batman Begins were pretty. That was a pre- those were pretty successful movies. They were that you wrote. Well, also, I I think for me, it's that that I've done it a few times. So it's like Blade had you know was a really obscure character that. You know, had a trilogy of films and three video games and blah, blah, blah. And then Batman. And everyone says, oh, but Batman's easy to do. But, like, the previous Batman to Batman Begins was not doing well. People forget. Yeah. People
0: forget. Just the same with Iron Man where they forget, like, oh, well, you know it now because for ten years it's been an institution uh, in the superhero film universe. But before that... Iron Man was of was not a, a character in the forefront, and Robert Downey Jr. was not working. No, and Batman Begins, I think, part of the reason that it 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 blew up so much is that people were pretty burned by Batman and Robin, right?
1: And but also that the and it's we got lucky in that the Batman and Robin had not done well and. By the time we came along – and there had been a lot of people who had attempted to do Batman films in the interim, like Mark Protosevich had written another one and there was going to be an R-rated Aronofsky you know, uh, one and, and Boaz Yakin was going to do Batman Beyond and then Andy Kevin Walker did like a Batman Superman. There were all these like stillborn Batman things that had ha- not happened in the intervening period and so by the time Chris and I came along, they – they were. They knew they had to do something radical. Yeah. And they were kind of like so desperate. I just remember when I, I, I got the job, everyone was saying, both online and amongst my friends, oh, that'll never – it'll never get made. Right. It'll never get made.
2: Well, that smart money was it on it not getting made. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> well, because at that point,
1: when you heard Batman, it was like, oh, boy. Yeah. Here we go. And we knew that we were – it's funny because if you look at the box office for that film versus The Dark Knight, yeah. we knew that we were coming in from a deficit. Like there was there was a negative connotation to the character that, so we had to get past that, much less it even being a good movie. Um, anyway, and it, so how, it turned out okay.
0: How did like what did, did you have? Did you have some sort of a guiding principle that was was it were you were you re, writing from a reactionary place to the previous yeah, the film, guiding batman? principle is batman doesn't kill that's the guiding <laughs> no. principle but i mean <laughs> were you writing from a place where, like it has to be different from this or was it you know let's just throw all that away and we'll just
1: start over with a whole different vision of it we were aware that it had to be radically different but that said that wasn't the guiding principle because i don't think you can you can create something just as a reaction to something, so they, I mean the guiding principle was was what if we play it straight?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean that was really it, and then and sort of you know reverse engineer it down to everything like the utility you no know, pun intended the utility belt or the Batmobile or so so like the previous Batmobiles that had been in the Burton films. Um, that was not a practical car like it looked like it, I remember you could, like you could seeing see it, it wobble you could, yeah and it, you could barely like turn a corner right uh, well, that's um, why
2: it had to fire grappling hooks yeah. into the wall yeah. so yeah. it would turn yeah. straight exactly.
1: exactly and so it, we just said okay what if it's real so like the, so the, even even like the cowl had you know like listening devices in it and stuff like that or, or like the classic example is um, you know the, like the little design features yeah. at, at his on his gauntlet we were, we were at D.C. Uh, in New York and I remember asking Paul Levitz, who was the publisher of D.C. at the time, I said, what, what are those things? And He said, oh, we call them scallops. Like, but they're just – I said, do they have like a function? And he said, no, they're just a design feature. And Chris was like, no way. And, and I, so I remember flying back from New York and, and we were talking about what had to be in the film or on the costume versus not. And I said, I think those things have to be there. And Chris said, Then you better fucking figure out what they do. <laughs> <laughs> because or else we're not putting them on. And that's how we came up with the idea of, of them being rigid and then being both a offensive and defensive yeah. thing where you could trap a sword blade and break it and so that my our the guiding principle was just, what if it were real? You were justifying everything. You yeah. were
2: justifying all of the yeah. comic. book. so the funny. I never lore. even, now I don't even question what the gauntlets do.
1: And then, but but until that of, point, yeah, until that point, and, and, now, and now the comic books adopted yeah. that. Yeah. But until that point, no one, but no one had ever just thought of, aha, huh, what if it's real? And then the other thing was that our points of reference when we were making that film weren't other comic book films. We, yeah. They were The Man Who Would Be King or you know, Lawrence of Arabia or things like that. Wow! Wow! Uh, can we just talk for one second about uh, Nick Fury, Agent of Shield? Sure. Yes. Which I'll. I'll, I'll... <laughs> which sometimes, and I love like like when somebody writes on the internet, like they'll cherry pick your credits, like it'll say David S. Goyer, Nick Fury, Agent of Shield, like in in parentheses. It's like, I guess that's all I've ever done, and I'm just like
0: you. <laughs> You
1: fucking asshole! <laughs> you know,
0: it's such a, it's such a snarky. It is it's such a snarky but, thing to do. But, Look what yes. this guy did. Yeah, yeah. Do you so, know what Nick Fury agents do this? No. Okay, I no. want you to shut your eyes because I want you to now. I want you to forget what. You know. I, I will
1: explain it, but please go on. no. Of course,
0: yeah. I, I I want you to shut your eyes and forget what you know about Nick Fury now. What if Nick Fury was David Hasselhoff? And what if David Hasselhoff? Hang on, but
2: Hasselhoff looks
0: like the original Nick Fury in the comics. So but what if forward. what if and what if David Hasselhoff as Nick Fury? had basically an android double in the story.
1: Uh, well, you'd have to stop that double. An LMD, a life model decoy. <laughs> a life model decoy. Yeah.
0: So, uh it's amazing because it it's it I mean, it shows And by the way, I do want you to know that usually when you say like, well look at, you know, look how far superhero movies have come and in the 90s, they weren't really in that great of a state, and then you can always go, but Blade was really rad, you know. So, I I you you definitely I wouldn't, you know, but what's the story behind? So uh, the
1: story is, y- y- hopefully, I mean, you'd all like to think that, like, the first script you write or something, you'll be really lucky and you'll have a lot of creative control and ownership, or you can just write whatever it is that you want. But the truth is, usually, what happens is you you kind of stumble through some not great projects, and something's okay, and then you get a little bit more control. And so early on in my career, I mean, super early on, I want to say. I'd only been writing professionally for like two years. Mm. Uh, I believe Marvel was owned by New World at the time. Remember them? Yeah. Oh, wow. Where, and New World was a sort of – I think an extension of like um, the canon group, like Golan and Globus mm-hmm. that had done like all those cheesy like movies in the 80s. You remember? Wow. remember? Uh, and and um, so Marvel was, was in bankruptcy and was not a particularly – valuable asset and and so there was this move at the time to like take some of the I guess second tier in fact during this period they they made that Captain America film remember that right. one that was made yeah that was that was during this period and so I was a young writer and they wanted to do Nick Fury because they reasoned that Nick Fury could be it wouldn't be as expensive because he was a super spy and things like that. <laughs> so, ostensibly, the I, overhead is an iPad. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, ostensibly, I was going to write like what would then be a sort of under $10 million film. Mm. And I'm like a, you know, 23 year old writer who loved like this Taranko, you know, Nick Fury comic book. So, I, and my script was. Pretty, you know, Hydra was in it, and Baron von Strucker, and the Satan Claw, and LMDs, and Arnim Zola, and it was pretty. It was very much influenced by like Kirby and Stanko and all this stuff, and um, and they didn't make it. So fair enough. Uh, and then, you know, some few years later, somehow that stuff got as, as a group uh, got sold to Fox to be made as four made-for-TV movies. And then they they said, great news. Like, we, we're going to take your old script and we're going to make it. And David Hasselhoff wants to star in it. And and they said, we want to fly you up to Vancouver to do the rewrites. And I just said, no. <laughs> I, so, which I'm kind of amazed that even relatively young in my career, like, I did have, like, limits. Like, I just said... And, like, and so I... Somebody else rewrote me. I didn't. Don't even know who, and I had no involvement in making it. And that's so how it come in. So
0: that's an interesting point to tackle. Is that um, things go through so many hands, so many rewrites, and so, and a lot of times you don't even really see everyone. If you just go to an IMDb page, there oh yeah, are people that you don't know, because you know I would hear these stories like, oh, uh, you know, Quentin Tarantino got a million dollars to write a six minute scene in blah, *Crimson blah, blah, Tide*. In
1: *Crimson Tide*, yeah, and uh, you know, so that that. That it constantly goes through – there are so many hands that something can go You don't always know based on the screen credits that those – I mean they may have been responsible for it or they may not have. I've written on movies that I'm not- uncredited yeah. um, where I've – they call it script doctoring where I it's done anything from like write a scene to write a week, punch up dialogue on something or do a couple of weeks and – and that can actually be fun kind of work because you're sort of like a hired gun and you're just yeah. coming in and you're sort of surgically trying to do. You don't have any emotional attachment. Exactly. And you're just trying to like. I've done it a couple of times. Yeah. It's the best job you can do. I, I kind of There's enjoy no it. no pressure. I kind of enjoy it. Yeah. And, um, but, but, you know, and, 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 and I've had projects where someone else has come in, you know, for a few weeks and punch things up and, you know, yes. So that was an instance where I don't even know who rewrote that. Um, could have been Hasselhoff. Well, it could, it could have been. He's here today. Yeah. Come on out. Yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but it,
0: it, uh, it it's interesting as a writer how many different ways because I think you know when you're young you go oh well a writer is someone who you write a thing and then it become it make it makes a movie but ultimately there's so many ways that you can survive as a writer without necessarily you know before, getting something made before yeah. that thing actually gets made which to me is still such a miracle that anything ever gets made because well, of the process I,
1: I often say if to like sometimes I'll speak at schools or things like that and I'll say you know if if you knew how many opportunities there were for a movie to go off the rails at any given point during um, the making of it you'd be amazed that anything good ever gets made mm. I mean you would just be amazed but um yeah I mean it's the the other thing is that there are some really good writers out there who have had three or four things made that are terrible movies and they're really good writers. Like if you actually read the original script you just like oh my god, you just feel bad for this person cuz like whatever, you know, crazy star this or yeah. producer that, you know, screwed it up.
0: So I mean, is do you have to go into this business as a writer with a
1: certain amount of relinquishing control for you, you, your Yeah and you hope look if you want complete control write a novel you know <laughs> and if you don't want anyone to rewrite you write you know write a book um, it's a it's partly because it's a and you hope that as you continue on in your career i mean there's no question that i am rewritten less now
2: than I was <laughs> at
1: the beginning but but i'm still rewritten occasionally and there are instances where someone a friend of mine has rewritten me and i've rewritten that friend and um, but but the other thing that you have to realize is even if you're making something relatively inexpensive, even if you're making a you know a micro budget horror film for four million dollars right they're spending four million and then maybe another twenty five million to market it mm-hmm. so they're spending close to thirty million dollars on something you wrote so it's not like like if you write a novel and you self publish it or even someone publishes it, the money involved in getting that thing out to market is relatively minor, even a small film you still have to like get someone to spend 30 million dollars of something. So by its very nature there's going to be compromise right. and there're going to be other people that have an opinion. You know, I remember at one point the apex of it was we were shooting Man of Steel at the same time Chris was finishing um, Dark Knight Rises. And I I I called my wife one time from the set and I said I Because I calculated, like, those two budgets, and I think, like, I have my name on, like, over $600 million of stuff that's being made at Warner Brothers right now, and that was kind of crazy, you know? That was, like, the apex of, like—not to mention all the marketing that went into that. oh, my God. But, you know,
0: now your name is also on billions of dollars worth of stuff at the same time. Yeah. I mean, do you—you can't really stop to think too much about that, though, right? I mean, you can have a moment where you're like, "Hey, that's really neat." Ah, right, you better get back to work.
1: Yeah, I mean, he, the, I mean, obviously, it flits through your mind sometimes, but you, at the end of the day, you still have to try to do the best film that you can do. And I think for me, the lesson of Batman Begins and The Dark Knight is these. Certainly, by the time that we did The Dark Knight, this was like a big budget thing where you know the studio was hoping to make you know, between merchandising and whatnot, billions of yeah. dollars. And there's the tendency to want to protect against failure and like, oh, well, why don't you go or a, why don't you guys just sort of do the same thing that you did the first time, but different, or you don't want to be too edgy. And I mean, the lesson for us was you can still have this massive, massive, massive film, this cultural phenomenon, and I think still do something that's really uncompromising. We didn't, we didn't. We didn't compromise in any way because we thought, "Oh, this will be a blockbuster," so we have to compromise. I think most of the time people feel like they do have to compromise or they should compromise. Yeah,
0: well, I mean, but those, especially the first two were sort of fun or fun stories because you know the, the audience perception before, because obviously everyone loves to judge things before they see them. The perception before Batman, oh, and then seeing it, oh, and then I remember when Heath Ledger was cast and it was like, what? oh, yeah, oh, yeah, what are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. that guy, that handsome guy, what, and then, oh, yeah, you know, yeah. And now he's sort of the defi- now he is the definitive, yeah. you know, uh, at least live action Joker, yeah. uh, and so I mean, it, uh, being able to. Surprise an audience in that way is is a is a very pow- because it's a, it's very hard to surprise people anymore. Everyone's seen everything and some- and
1: everyone prejudges. That's why I, I mean I prejudge too. As a it's hard not to. I, I, even when the first Blade film came out, I mean that movie before it came out was a joke. I mean people were saying it's oh this is like Spawn 2 or right. something <laughs> like that, and, and which is a perfectly fine comic book, but it was a, it was a that people were just laughing about that film and and I had seen it you know what i mean and i i was in the first test screening with the, like the blood coming down and like you could feel the audience going oh holy shit what the fuck is this <laughs> and and i knew that that's what the movie was like and all these people on the internet were like meh meh me, me. and 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 i had a similar feeling when we were doing batman begins and the dark knight and i mean i'd seen he doing the performance and i knew how amazing it was. Uh, also Blade Udo Kier,
0: fucking great.
1: Yes, yes.
0: Udo Kier, awesome. I mean top to bottom that movie is fantastic. And even, you know, i want to talk to you a little bit about sequels and sequelitis and how much, you know, it, because uh, Blade 2 obviously was also fantastic because you had Guillermo and also is the idea of the vampire vampire. Yeah. And uh, but this when you're making a sequel and it's sort of like what you said. Well, for this next one, it want they want it to be different enough, but the same enough. And you know, it seems like the formula for sequels is well, I guess we got to raise the stakes somehow to get to get people to leave their homes again. So let's add ten characters, ten storylines. We'll just you know, it's it it feels like. Uh, and audiences are savvy to it now. Like, okay, you just
1: tried to throw a bunch of shit in there to just make it seem more marketable. And I think they're also savvy to the idea that that oh, this this isn't a film; it's a piece of commerce now in this ongoing franchise, where right. we're sort of mm. you know, if you go to the studios now, everyone everyone's wants story universes. You know, that's the phrase. That's, you know, because they they've seen what Marvel's done, or you know what um you know the Star Wars universe, Lucasfilm, and not to say that what Marvel and Lucasfilm haven't done is amazing It's now that everyone all the other studios want to do the exact yeah. same thing, and so you've got whether they're successful or not, all these different studios saying how how do we come up with our own linked universe right and and so now it's not just enough to say. Like, oh, I hope this is a three-movie franchise. It's like, oh, I hope this is like a nine-movie or, you know, th- it's a ten-year plan. It's and so crazy. It is crazy because you can't – and you've got all these projects, and I won't name them, that are sort of going out there. That's like, this is going to be the first in a projected eight-movie thing. And, and you're like, dude, j- how about starting with just making a good movie? <laughs> the first time. Yeah.
0: I mean, I think the idea – do that, Jupiter Ascending? I was even going to say the idea of a trilogy is – Daunting because a presumptive trilogy, it, you know, yeah, like, yeah. It, because Make, because yeah. rarely, rarely is the third of anything. Like people have already seen the characters; they it's, get it. It's, it's almost like the the third in a trilogy feels like, well, this is purely ceremonial. We just need three to round out the. But
1: yeah, you're right. But it's it's incredibly hard. I mean, there have been a, a lot of good sequels, yeah, and it, it's really hard to do a third film unless it's something like Lord of the Rings, where it was three.
2: Books to begin with. Right.
1: You know, it's incredibly hard to do it the third time out because you're, no matter what, you're sitting there going, well, what iteration, especially if you're not designing them to be one long story, which, like in the Batman films, we weren't. Mm -hmm. I mean, we weren't saying, oh, let's, like when we finished The Dark Knight, we had no we didn't say hey we're going to do this you know or we've set these seeds to do x y and z i mean we had no idea what we were going to do and it's hard you have to it's hard to find that balance between if you don't have a plan per se cuz chris always felt like you got each movie has to have its own integrity and if you have a great idea use it and don't think about a sequel yeah um and, and then if you do that really well, it becomes harder to do a sequel. But at the same time, if you're trying to do a presumptive trilogy, I think audiences are starting to catch on to this. And I am, as an audience member, be a little weary of it. What's what's the most interesting
0: thing about Chris Nolan? Just it, it, how he works, his process? I mean, obviously, when you see a Nolan movie, you go, oh, yeah, that's a, that's a Christopher Nolan movie. Even though it's difficult to say exactly what it is that makes a Christopher Nolan movie.
1: Uh, I mean – as a as a collaborator he's super rigorous and thoughtful and i would say the the one defining characteristic of those movies is that he he really believes in not talking down to the audience like he he thinks sometimes no you got to pay attention like he doesn't he doesn't like to make things. He has a lot of faith in the audience. Yeah. Well, he, yeah, I mean look at Interstellar. There's yeah. a, there's a lot of faith yeah. if anyone else if he'd been able to get notes on that, they would have yeah. been like,
0: it's too much science. You can't get people you can't have people calculating timelines, you know, like I, I, Einstein yeah. there, you know. They they would that movie would have been probably an hour shorter and not
1: made a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean he he you know in general, like as, you, as, as you're making movies at the studios, that you, like it used to be in the old days that you had one or two people who would decide, I want to make this film. Like it, Blade and Dark Side were both made in the heyday of New Line. Whatever. There was Bob Shea, but at the time, Michael DeLuca was the guy who was basically saying, I want to make this. And he wasn't doing it based on profit and loss statements on what other films. Mm-hmm. He would just – if he liked it, he would make it. And on paper, Blade made no sense whatsoever. But he just liked it. And then, like. Yeah, I mean, it's a day walker
2: already. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh,
1: but now what happens is uh, now there are green light committees at studios and they're getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And so it's like now there's like 10 people or 20 people or 30 people who weigh in on whether or not a film should get made. And then I think by its nature, the more people that you have weighing in, you know the more sort of like all the interesting nooks and crannies and bumps get planed off mm. and it can become more generic and and risk-averse. And so I think with Chris, it's like he just fortunately he has got to a place in his career where he can just say, no, I want to do this. And I know on paper it doesn't make any sense, but I want to do it and I have faith in the audience.
0: Are you concerned at all
1: that we're getting
0: superhero fatigue or or at least like, you know, just feeling like, Okay, Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. Okay, now it's Andrew Garfield. Well, now it's another guy. Well, now that was Okay, that was Christian Bale. Now it's Ben. What was it? You know what I mean? Like does it do you are, are you worried that people are just going to be
1: like, "Ah, superhero movies." Well, sure, and I think at a certain point you say, well, a, I mean, I mean the period between reboots is like getting shorter and <laughs> shorter and shorter and shorter. And shorter. Yeah. It used to be like you needed Twenty years, and then it was ten, and then it was like eight, and then it was six, and now it's like two. You yeah. know, and and it, you know, it used to be that it, like at least it was like a new generation that were teaching it, it, yeah, ex- it. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so I, you know, I think about that. I also think about there's so many superhero films getting made. Like in my wildest dreams from when I was growing up, I, in a million years, I never would have imagined that there would be like a Blade film or a Guardians of the Galaxy film. Right, Which, right. I mean, these were tertiary Marvel characters. You know, I I don't even know what the what the word album, is. Like- yeah, but they probably will be, or there's going to be an Inhumans yeah. film. But having said that, I also loved Guardians, yeah. and I think don't quote me exactly but i think 2017 between like the marvel films and the dc films and the marvel films that are being done for sony and or fox i think there's like 10 marvel or dc films schedules to come out that year there's almost one every month and so you do think my god how you know is there a saturation point i have no idea we'll find out yeah (laughs) yeah but i also feel like you know what if
0: if the movies are if the movies continue to be
1: good people will go see and them. and most of them have been good you know i mean most of them have been i mean you know
0: how was your experience gearing up well first of all going through man of steel cuz we did a little we did a little press thing we did some press stuff i moderated some press stuff for you for uh, can i just ask
2: you a question about man of steel
0: please go ahead
2: don't take it the wrong way or anything like that but how how could you let Superman kill that guy.
1: <laughs> Does anyone hit you with that a lot? Yes, but for as many people as honestly hit me for that with that, mm. I get just as many people saying, "Awesome that you did that!" Right. And so I think that the that's a classic example. But my of, question is to you. I guess less less to you as a writer. I guess more to you as like a fan of comics and 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 uh, a fan of Superman. Do you want a real answer? Yeah, I would love to. Okay. I'd love to know. So uh, in that instance, like if you the way I work the way Chris works is you do what's right for the story mm-hmm. that exists entirely separately from what fans should or shouldn't think of that character right you have to do what's right for the story okay. so in that instance this was a Superman who A had only been Superman for like a week oh if that <laughs> like he never like, <laughs> yeah, he, never, like yeah. he was not he's a baby Superman he yeah. wasn't Superman as we think of him in yeah, the yeah, DC yeah. comics or the Neil Adam or the Kurt right, Swan right. or something like that or even in a world that conceived of Superman existing. He'd only he'd only flown for the first time a few days before right. that. He'd never fought anyone that had superpowers before. And so he's A, going up against a guy who not only is superpowered but who has been training since birth to use those superpowers, who exists as a superhuman killing machine, who has stated – I will never stop until I destroy all of humanity. And also, from a thematic standpoint, we were—it was a story about a guy who's the last of his kind, who's given this opportunity to have his kind back, but it means right. he's going to have to decide. But... So, from a if you if you take Superman out of it, what's the right way to tell that story? Mm-hmm. I, I think the right way to tell that story is if you take this powered alien who says you can have your race back but you have to kill your adopted race the moral horrible situation to be in is to actually be forced to kill not wanting to but mm-hmm. be forced to kill the only other person from your race and to sort of give that up take Superman aside I think that's the right way to tell that story the, the other thing is how does he solve the problem there's no prison on the planet that can hold him yeah. this our Superman in Man of Steel can't fly to the moon right. How does he... He doesn't know how to fly to the moon yet. What, is he, what does he do? You know, anyway... So, Where's so that's, the phantom zone yeah, exactly. when you need it? Uh, he blows but, really cool but, breath as the laser other, eyes. But the other bullshit thing is, like, go to the comic books, and he killed Zod a couple of times in the comic books. He killed Zod in the John Byrne comic books. That's true.
0: That's true. I mean, is it is it possible that part of his... Uh, <laughs> that You know, like, if you're a kid... You know, and you shoot a bird, and then it breaks your heart, and then you're like, "Oh
1: well, I'm not going to kill anything." The that rest of was my life. part of the point. Is there's a there's a you know that film could have been called Superman Begins. That was a film in which he's been hiding. That. That's a better name. But but you know, my point yeah, is like yeah. he's not Superman until like the penultimate scene of that right. film, and then and then he doesn't understand that he has this sort of. You know, people think of him in a certain way. There's no like Superman do- kills or doesn't yeah. kill kind of thing that doesn't exist in this story yet. And we were trying to do or within the framework of what it is a relatively realistic sure. story about what if this guy existed. Yeah, he could shoot a bird or a plane. I, well,
0: I, I listen. Thanks, I'm Cal. satisfied with that answer. That was a, that's a great answer. answer. And also, it's interesting. It's interesting when you watch a universe. That doesn't have. It's like watching Walking Dead. and Go.
1: They don't have. They don't know what zombies are. Watching Superman. Right. And go, he doesn't yeah. have Superman right. comics. See, right. people are people are trying to apply in their history. Like a yeah. like like the way that Chris and I work is we don't do something because oh, well that's the way mm-hmm. the fans would or wouldn't like it. We have to follow the sort of truth of the story. Yeah. And so I don't know. You tell me how you should have solved that problem uh, in our version in uh, our world. God. Phantom Zone? Can't do it? <laughs> no Phantom Zone. God damn what? it. There's no projector. There's fan- it got destroyed when the ship got destroyed. Oh, God. Shouldn't let that ship get to destroyed. Be fair, but to be fair, we were trying to construct the story in such a way so that he had no choice. Yeah. We were not We're trying to make it a Sophie's choice. You don't think his super cool breath would have done anything? He doesn't have super breath in our version.
2: <laughs> okay, well that's not established. He doesn't try. <laughs> he doesn't know yet. He doesn't know. He's a baby Superman. Yeah. You could have had him go. Oh man, my breath. He didn't is, even uh, know he could fly. Temperature. It's, this is this is true. This is true. <laughs> I feel like you put him up against that fight a little too early for soups.
1: But I've had I have had people say, "Well, he could have flown Zod to the moon," and I'm like, "No, he couldn't." Not yeah, yeah. yeah. By the way, our Superman needs oxygen. Still, he could hold his breath for a long time, but not how forever. long? Tom Cruise did it for four minutes. <laughs> you know, uh,
0: Tom Cruise would have killed Zod. Yeah. Oh, wait, no. <laughs> um, but I wonder if uh, just it, you know Superman, especially it. Just as a his his powers also throughout all of Superman lore are, are have never been fully consistent. No, either. no, 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 no not like at all. True. Especially if you watch. Very true. You know, if you watch the Brandon Ralph version, it's like how is he picking up an island of kryptonite? They're like you know, in the, and in by the way, island. and how is it not crumbling around
1: him, or how is it not? Yeah, no, I, mean, I know, the, you know there's, there's no and, physics. And, and the Donner hard.
0: Superman, they basically just put a necklace around him, and he was about to drown. You know, like yeah.
1: <laughs> well, and and he reversed. Yeah. To
0: reverse time. I mean, like, once you can make the earth go the other way, because I will you say what
2: I loved, loved, loved about the Batman versus Superman latest trailer that came out after Comic Con, what I loved about that was seeing Bruce Wayne running into
1: the destruction. Well, again, that was, the, that the, was the whole point there was that awesome. it, it doesn't, it's like, oh, what happened in that movie? Because everyone's like, wow, there's a lot of destruction. And we're like, Yeah. Mm. And we're gonna talk about it, mm-hmm. like, because like, it's like you're trying to follow things through to its sort yeah. of logical. Like, it doesn't happen in a vacuum. Yeah, but it's also like I think like
2: it's cool because like the audience, like the audience reaction of that of, of Man of Steel was like, oh my god, there's so much destruction, all these buildings are going down, but you get to see sort of like, oh, that's how Bruce Wayne's gonna deal. But with I, But that. also, it's I know beautiful. it's like
1: I know some people are like, oh my god, there's so much destruction, but our point was like, but there would be. Yeah, with yeah, like yeah. It's, we don't. We were trying to tell a story that it's not in a magical world where, like, this happens. Where he Super pauses beings, mid-fight to save a puppy. Or, or, like, all these buildings collapse and, like, somebody wouldn't be hurt. Mm-hmm. It's like we were trying to say, well, what if this really happened?
0: Yeah, it's like – it's kind of funny to watch, like, Superman 2 – where you know it's like they're throwing buses. Which one?
2: The Donner cut, or are we Donner. talking?
0: Not the Donner cut. Okay. Like when the when Richard Lester took over, and 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 Superman two kind of became a weird comedy, almost yeah. in a weird sort yeah. of way. But where it's where like t- so many people would have died during that fight in in the yeah they so many people would have died, and uh, but it's the it's the point where they kill Superman with a bus, quote unquote, and then the t- and then all the city people are like. They called Superman. Let's yeah. get him, and they're yeah. like picking up trash off the street <laughs> yeah. to try to to try to basically kill Z- well, Zod. Maybe it's
2: like Vigo and Ghostbusters too. What happens is uh, when there's joy.
0: <laughs> no, <laughs> the but I will also to... say
1: I admit to a little bit. Like, if, like if I think prior to that, to Man of Steel, to a certain extent, I think that in comic books, the only time that they sort of. Accurately depicted what would happen if two super beings actually went head to head was in um, Alan Moore's Miracle Man mm. mm-hmm. uh, when he's fighting like Kid Miracle Man, and yep. you know that was a that was kind of what you think it would really be like. Oh, yeah. And to a certain extent, we were doing a version of that. You know, I, w- I want to. Well, make... I'm gung ho on this fucking. I want to make a sketch. I want to make
0: a sketch. It's just like it's just it, just the idea of of the reality of Superman. I want to make a sketch where um, Superman and uh, and Lois are about to they're about to get intimate for the first time, and she undresses and then he undresses, and this crazy tentacle comes from out, and she's like Jesus Christ, and he's like well, I'm an alien. What did you think was gonna? Oh, I think Ma and Pa Kent would have got. Have that you taken ever read? It?
1: I'm sure doctor. you've heard of that, Larry Niven. The famous science fiction author wrote a, a um, about what it, what would happen. Yeah, he Super- wrote yeah. he wrote an essay called "Man of Steel, uh, Woman of Tissue."
0: Didn't uh, didn't Kevin Smith? Kevin goes to that. Argument Kevin goes through that. Mallrats, Mal yeah, yeah. Where yeah. It basically like a shotgun blast, yeah, because his molecular structure. So, but maybe you know, maybe he can control that. Was that part of the argument? Maybe he can control it. it. Well, maybe that's
2: maybe that's where his cool breath went. Maybe
1: it'll freeze her. <laughs> it.
0: <laughs> he could cryo-freeze. So. Or if he, or
1: if he has like a like a Kryptonian Yoda that can tell him how to control.
0: What what are you excited about? I mean, I know uh, pr- primarily we're gonna, and in a sec we'll talk about the um, uh, Da Vinci's demons. But for, but really quickly, what are you most excited about with Batman versus Superman? Now that you know what's happening and you know like you, just being in that
1: position where you said, oh, you know, I have these uh-huh. movies where I, I hadn't come out yet. Honestly, I mean, I think the coolest thing that's is, is going to be a, a live-action, big-budget version of Wonder Woman. I mean, I think that's the coolest. Yeah. I mean, it, everything else is awesome, but I I remember when we were first talking about doing that, that was just super exciting to us.
0: Yeah. And as the writer, d- how did you balance having— One of the writers. As, there's as two, one there's, of the there's writers. There's two of us. As one of the writers, how did you guys balance having multiple characters in the story but still keeping it focused and not all over the place?
1: There's very little that I can say about this film. Just walk mm-hmm. through us. Walk us through the plot.
2: <laughs> How's it end?
1: All right. Start with uh, f- uh, fade. It's a ba- it is a balancing act. No pun intended. I mean, you have to, you know, balancing act. So Dick Grayson's in it. What's happening? That yeah, Dick-
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's my yeah. That's my subtle you know. Read <laughs>
0: everything. David Goyer absolutely confirms. All right.
1: Um. It's it's a. Again, you, have, you just have to go back to like – I think the, the challenging thing um, about the DC films now, the post-Nolan films and the – the fun thing and the challenging thing is is, is trying to say how can we – what we've chosen to do is portray it in a, in a slightly more realistic way. right? Mm-hmm. And so on one hand, that's really exciting because it opens up a lot of dramatic possibilities that, that – you might not have thought of on the other hand it makes it harder the suspension of disbelief harder because you have to like you can't just do things in any of these films because you know that's the way they did in the comic books mm-hmm. because we're trying to pretend as if these comic books don't exist I do I love there's a lot I mean there's a lot about that trailer I love but
2: I also love how it looks like Lex Luthor has been like Silicon Valley the startup
1: guy like I love that like on a basketball yeah, I think, court I think like, it's if, fucking I think awesome. if you if you think of who Lex Luthor would be today, yeah. it feels like he'd be more in the Mark Zuckerberg, yeah, you know, for sort sure. of, you know, IPO. Good cast in getting Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, so good!
1: But also, you, you have to think that a person like that, to have achieved that level of wealth, right, right has to be charismatic, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he, uh, how could he not be charismatic? Yeah. Or it's like, like, I always thought he was like a combination of like Zuckerberg or Elon Musk or somebody like yeah, that. Yeah. And I love yeah. Elon Musk. But you, he had to be charismatic in and of his own right. Yeah. And also super smart.
0: I just met him a couple days ago.
1: Elon Musk. I've I, never met him. I
0: went to SpaceX. He's like my one of my heroes. When you look at what that guy's done, it's yeah. fucking crazy. Like, if you had done even any one of those things, I like, know. that guy's a genius. If you
2: had had a cameo in
0: Iron Man 2. <laughs> <laughs> which was I which I think was shot at where SpaceX is yeah. in, in in Hawthorne. But, I mean, my God, you know. When you start looking up uh, the other thing, and who knows everything, like where uh, where it all goes, but it's like, oh, he's also uh, he also uh, uh, owns uh, like the second largest solar energy company, Solar City, Solar City. Yeah, Yeah. I mean it's 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 really it might be the largest now. Mm. I mean it's like everything that he started. Oh, he got you know he got like twenty million dollars for selling this. So then he put ten million
1: of that into this, and then that made a billion. Like, but he keeps leveraging, but he also keeps taking risks. He does. So like, he's not he's not just like like sitting back and
0: risks on things that are not only for the good of humanity, but also like oh yeah, how come someone hasn't done that yet? Listen, <laughs> as soon as the fucking hyperloop, the hyperloop, I'm, I'm all about the hyperloop. The hyperloop needs to. I can't happen. wait
1: for the hyperloop. Hyperloop, this the, the, that's a movie waiting. <laughs> to the happen. funny, well the. the you, It's funny that you say that because, you know, uh, a lot of what I do is sort of like near future science fiction or things Mm -hmm. like that. And already on like six movies I've either asked to be involved in or have been involved in, it's like the production designer is like, and the Hyperloop exists.
0: (laughs) And it's just like completely modeled after his current plan. But uh, Da Vinci's Demons, which uh, which I think the premiere is October 24th on Stars. Uh-huh. So this is – Third and final season. The third and final season? Yes. Was that – did you say like I only want to do three seasons or I only have the energy to do three no, seasons?
1: The, the, no. The truth is I, I originally had a plan to do five or six and um, I mean it, it, it performed well. It performed much better overseas than it did here. Mm. And stars here, they don't have foreign. So I think it it had been in. A, uh, I mean, there's always a sort of like, how well does it do? How much money does it make? I think if stars had had foreign, that would have been a slightly different calculation because it's done incredibly well overseas. And you know, I we had three years of a good run. It is true, Chris Albrecht at one point had said because we had a plan to continue it, but it wouldn't. It would have involved at least another two seasons to sort of do the next chapter after he leaves Florence. And so when we were um, we recent, we did some reshoots I think back in March We did about 10 days of reshoots And uh, Amy Berg Who's the writer I mentioned yeah. Sort of geek writer was, was on it And she was with me On the reshoots And we were We didn't know Whether or not We would have another season When we were doing it So I do want To the extent That there are fans Out there listening It doesn't It's not like It just like ends And it goes off a cliff mm-hmm. We <laughs> We uh, We wrote some stuff And filmed some stuff that if it were the end, this is what we would do. So there's, there's an end, and and we when we got the news, we edited and put in these scenes. There are scenes that probably wouldn't have been in had it not been the end. Oh wow! And so it's, I feel having said that, it's a, it's it's a pretty good ending, and it and it will feel like a sense of closure, and it will feel circular, like the snake eating its own tail. Do you prefer? Because I know you've done way more film
0: than television, but do you prefer? Having, you know, 8, 10, 12
1: episodes to draw yeah, a story. Yeah, it's a blast. Up. I mean, now it used to be that I was like 10% of my uh, energies were going into TV. But now it's about 50-50. Um, and it just I like serialized storytelling. And there's so much amazing TV out there mm. right now. I, I know you know Scott Gimple well. Yeah. He uh, he was in the first writer's room for Da Vinci. He co-wrote episodes two and three uh, of that. I mean, we just both love serialized TV I for me that's the best possible way to tell a story yeah. is over the course of 30 or 40 or years and that's episodes. kind of how films are going now too it it's is like, it's like, weird films
0: are serializing I know I know just to keep just to keep the audiences yeah but
1: uh, uh, I didn't know gimple wrote on that that's awesome yeah that's it was cool. in between it was a hiatus in between I think it was second and third season and he had like six weeks off and I said come well,
0: basically the story is, is it's 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 like a Da Vinci is essentially it's like a, it's like Da Vinci adventures.
1: Yeah, it, it's like like one part Tony Stark, one part Sherlock Holmes, one part Indiana Jones. Right. Know. It's three good parts. One yeah. part.
0: Yeah. Tales of the Golden Monkey. Yeah. There Tales, you go. Tales I, of the Golden I, Monkey. I
1: remember Tales of the Golden Monkey. <laughs> Those were, King Solomon's King. Yes. Uh, oh my God. Richard Chamberlain.
0: Yes. Oh yes. The, King I, Solomon's. Everything mines. that uh, everything that Indiana Jones brought. After that, we need more adventure yeah. programming yeah. in the world. Um. It, I mean, it seems like your calendar is pretty backed up for the next several years.
1: <laughs> I'm. T- I'm. I'm good. Through probably 2017. And are there any tiny little passion projects?
0: You're like, oh, I just want to sneak away and just go make this weird little small... I mean, like, you make yeah, such... Yeah, there are. There you are. make such big stuff now that it kind of doesn't... Wouldn't it feel, oh, it'd be kind of nice just to make some weird little intimate movie where there's the stakes are low?
1: Yes. Where I'm actually... I, I partner with a guy named Kevin Turin, who's a independent producer who produced movies like Arbitrage and All is Lost, a bunch of really good films. And we're, we're producing and... I, I I might direct one, and in, in some cases, writing. We're doing a little sort of mini slate of kind of under twenty million dollar films, and they're they're not all genre films. Some of them are, and and it's it's sort of like in some ways films that a lot of the studios aren't making anymore. Mm-hmm. And um, so there's a bunch of those that we're doing, you know, just because they're good for the soul, and if we make money on them, great. But that's not the primary motive. And there's a there's an amazing one that we're going to shoot next year called Famine about the Irish famine mm. and it's it's an amazing script that uh uh Jared Barrett wrote and he's going to direct it he's a really amazing Irish filmmaker and and yeah that's not a money play <laughs> but it's it's an amazing script and it's it's I think it's going to be a really amazing movie and a, and you know an important film so I don't know we're doing we're doing it's kind of like a one-for-me, one-for-them thing now.
0: Yeah, great. And do you, is there anything that you can tell
1: people about uh, this process? I wish we should do this in a year because I have two secret projects I'm involved in and I can't say anything about that. Uh, Great. Well, a year from a now year. will be amazing. Secret Squirrel, the big budget yeah. of live yeah, action. exactly. <laughs> They're so cool, but I can't see. Oh, anything. Oh, nothing? I, uh-uh. No, oh, no. Yeah, you can't. I mean, I can even try to poke you to get hints, but I know how much trouble. Uh, an interesting one, because I'm working on the, the remake of Fantastic Voyage with Cameron. I mean, that's been announced. That's been really interesting. Oh, my gosh. How's that? I mean, he's the smartest, like, because I was like, that could be fun, but also just be fun to be in a room with him. Yeah, and you like, mean the movie based on the Coolio song, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay, good, uh, but that guy—he's just so smart, you know—that you're like, God damn, you're sort of as smart as you think you would be, you know? yeah, <laughs> <It's yeah>. like, <laughs> <laughs> And patient,
0: yes, not not afraid to like. You know, not afraid to drag something along Mm-mm. to make sure it's
1: done. It's done right. Well, yeah. What does he care? He's just sort of making it the I way he wants. mean, he can just walk in a
2: room and go, "Oh, remember the high grossest, highest grossing movie ever, Titanic?" Well, I like got uh, beat that, by myself.
0: Did yeah. that twice. Yeah. <laughs> Probably gonna do it a third time when the next <laughs> Avatar comes out. I mean, he's he's he's, uh, he's a smart guy. Are you ever? Do you ever get intimidated by anyone? Or at this point, you're like, "I know what I I know what I'm good
1: at." Now, I'll tell you that the funny thing with him is like that. So lots of people are justifiably intimidated by him. And i he's done – he's an amazing filmmaker. I mean it's bookended by – when I went to film school, he showed – I was at a screening of the first Terminator that he showed like three months before it came out. So obviously no one right. – we heard there was going to be this screening with an action movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger in it. And at the time, it was like this is going to be a joke, yeah, you know, yeah. and he was speaking after the film and – we watched it, and everyone was just holy shit. And and I got to talk to him afterwards for half an hour, forty five minutes of just because he wasn't James Cameron. Right, man. he was just a guy. And I reminded him; he he didn't remember, but I reminded him of that. I don't know, uh, you know, six months ago. But it was funny. There was a there was a moment. We were sitting in this room, and there was a lot of sort of. It was the first time I would met him recently, and you know. I think when someone gets that successful whether they want it to or not, there's pe- there's apprehension for the people around him. You yeah. Know? And uh, so we were sitting – I don't know. There was maybe five people in the room and we were talking about story and he suggested something and uh, – because and, he's a big science guy and I didn't think it would work from like a science standpoint and I was like, do I say anything or not? <laughs> And so I said, I actually, I'm not sure that works. And you could see like the the air just like went out of the room, and then, but it was everyone else. It wasn't him. And he said, "Why?" And I explained why, and he was like, "Yeah, that makes sense." Like, like, and you're like, I think it's just people are used to.
0: I thought it was a bad idea too, Mr. Cameron. Shut the fuck yeah, up. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. I just think it's a a. I was like, ah, uh, I'm just, at the end of the day. I'm just gonna like. Do what I do, and then
0: yeah I mean I, I just you know it's just this idea of being sort of imprisoned by your success, you know that happens and being surrounded by people where you don't know
1: it happens even if you don't want it to happen right. because it's like you no know one, no one wants to rock the boat or get in trouble so you don't you, but even is- i mean and I don't have even remotely that level, but i I still really encourage the people I work with to just be like tell me if you don't think it works. Like, it. Like argue with me. Explain why. You know, I just think you need that to remain vital. You would have to because
0: at a certain point you just go off in a really crazy direction and no one knows, <laughs> you know. Yeah, you you or, lose or, touch with people. Or
1: in hol- if, if you're successful in Hollywood, you know, at a certain point people will be like, you know, I'll, we'll take anything you got, no matter how crazy. And it can be tempting to be like, oh, I'm going to do a story about, something that's unproducible I mean, you know, just because I can and just because you can doesn't mean you should.
0: Well, this idea of uh, kind of humanizing all of these characters and humanizing these people and bringing them more into reality
1: is a really great. It's been really it's been really great. So, we're doing we're doing the, this um I'm producing a film about Isaac Newton. Um oh. and it's based on a real story and uh for, again, another hero of mine, but it was a, a thing in history that I didn't know about, uh, which is you know after he'd he'd published the Principia or Principia, however you pronounce it. So he at the time he was super famous and he'd been knighted. He was about fifty, and and he was bored and he actually suffered a mental breakdown. And um, one of his friends, John Locke, like mm-hmm. the famous yeah. not the not the lost character, but <laughs> the philosopher, the, yeah, but the philosopher. As a way of like getting him out of the doldrums suggested that he become the warden of the mint, like which is kind of a just an official title. And so Isaac Newton moved to London and he discovered that in that year, a third of all the English currency was counterfeit. And there was this really bad counterfeiting problem and it turned out there was a group of counterfeiting thieves that were led by like this kind of mastermind and he said about he was given almost unlimited freedom and all these men-at-arms and to catch these counterfeiters and figure out who was behind it. And he, over like a three-year period, he caught 28 counterfeiters uh, and they were all put to death. And, and there was this mastermind guy who was like like the player on the opposite side of yeah. the thing. This guy named William Shaloner. Everything I'm telling you was true and I didn't know this story. Who was like the super genius of, of counterfeiting who was really good at like um, social engineering and, and Isaac Newton caught him and at the trial he boasted and said, I'm going to get off and like they're never going to get me because he paid off all the witnesses to you – know, <laughs> he got away and Isaac Newton caught him a second time and decided to be the prosecutor at the trial and this guy William Chaloner was the defense attorney and he went head to head and finally Isaac Newton got him and was like at his hanging and – I didn't – that story is true. Wow, that's amazing. But my point is like we talk about humanizing like these characters and like just the idea of thinking of this guy having a nervous breakdown and like then going into it and reinventing himself and employing scientific methods to capture capture these guys and anyway. It's like
0: untouchables meets inheritance. It is. It is. It is.
1: (laughs) I love that stuff.
0: Well, thank you so much for being here. It's good to see you
1: again. Good to see you too. Congratulations on everything, David. Enjoy your burrito, everyone. Oh, I meant to ask you. It's like, do you actually know the derivation of the word "nerd"?
0: Um, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm under what? I'm, still uh, I'm, I'm under the, I'm under the impression that it was uh, Doctor Seuss reference.
1: Uh, if I owned the zoo, yeah. Uh, or if I ran the zoo, yeah, yeah. That, uh, that, 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 that's where it came from. But, it, but it only came recently. It was like in the mid '50s. Yeah, and then
0: they use, you know, they used it a couple times in Happy Days. I think. Yeah. They'd be like, oh, these nerds. Yeah. You know, but. Uh, you know it wasn't really until the movie Revenge of the
1: Nerds where I really understood what that term Do you and this is a real question do you differentiate between do you think there's any differentiation between nerd and geek Not anymore
0: I think was there? I think I think etymologically there there, well, there sure. probably there probably was I think um, I think geeks were pro- well now I think there's some there are some ideas where like well Nerds are more uh, nerds are more technically minded, and geeks are more pop culture centric. Oh, okay, but you know, I think I think previously, I think nerds were more socially awkward as a function of their um, as a function of their Repre- repressed sexuality, repressed sexuality, inability <laughs> to connect with with uh, mortals. Uh, uh, who were beneath them And then um, But geek You know Because the etymology Of that word Is a, is is, geck, is a Greek yeah. word It's like the people Who would bite the heads Kids Off chickens, chickens at, yeah. uh, at sideshows I think geeks Were probably more What dweebs are now. You know what I mean It's like geeks Were probably more like uh, You didn't want to Hang around them Too much Like nerds couldn't really hang around you but geeks you probably didn't really want to hang around i think in in, like in the distant past but i think ultimately we're all saying
1: the same thing now i think the lines have merged i just think it's interesting on nerds i mean obviously nerdist you have built a whole empire off of the word nerd but my kids i have three sons and my oldest are eight and five and they like to say you're a nerd is like like um, like amazing. They think like nerds run the world. Oh, it's you know? great. Yeah. I mean,
0: I- I'm so actually proud now. Fucking dorks. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're not fucking dorks. I'm so proud now that I was growing up. It was a derogatory term, and now it's derogatory to challenge someone. Oh yeah, nerd cred. Go, when you're I, not a real nerd. When, like,
1: hey, come on. When I was a kid, yeah, I, I was called a nerd, and that was like a really like that. Like oh man, they called me a nerd. You Damn, know? Oh, I'll
0: never go to the dance now. Yeah, anyway, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> right. then, a pleasure.
2: Now leaving, Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.